You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Peter S. Beagle is the author of The Last Unicorn and many other classics of the fantasy and science fiction genre. Thank you for joining me, Peter. Thanks for having me. Peter, I'd like to ask you, um, can you tell me the very first time you ever saw a copy of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction? I would have to have been around 12 years old. And the way other people collected baseball cards those days... I collected copies of FNSF. You know, I not only bought the current ones, but I'd go down to the the stretch of 22 used bookstores on 4th Avenue in New York, and I'd look for old copies, you know, going all the way back to the beginning in 1949. And I, never, I don't suppose I ever had a complete collection, but at one time I had a pretty good stack. I, I remember, as a youth, just the the look of the covers of the magazine really affected my you know my vision of the way things were and could be. I associate, I don't know if they were published by the same people. There was a or if there was any tie-in, but they looked similar in some ways to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Mm-hmm. Approximately the same price, same same paper, same physical look, except for the obvious differences. But I followed them together, and I collected EQ, too. <laughs> now, tell me, uh, what was the first story that you published in FS, F and SF, and what did that mean to you? It was my story, Come Lady Death, which I wrote in about a day and a half when I was in a writing class at Stanford because I was trying to sneak a fantasy past the great Irish writer, Frank O'Connor, who was running the class then. It failed. O'Connor just didn't like fantasy, per se, but it did turn up in the O. Henry Awards collection in 1963. And then I believe in 1966 it got picked up for um, fantasy and science fiction. And I was thrilled because to me, and really still, you know, that was the New Yorker of the science fiction fantasy field. I honestly had no visions of breaking into the New Yorker. I already knew I wasn't likely to write something for them, but this was my equivalent of it. I was remember being very proud at the time. What do you think uh, fantasy and science fiction means to the science fiction and fantasy community? A- and how do you think those effects have spread, especially, you know, in the years that you as a writer have been uh, working? Well, it's hard for me to say what it means, except that so many magazines... You know, established ones by Galaxy and Galaxy's short-lived sister, Beyond, which I loved, um, and also had every issue of one time. So many have 
simply slipped away or gone on, become online magazines recent years or been totally eclipsed by original anthologies. But fantasy and science fiction has just gone on as very few magazines in any field go on these days. Um, this is a time when newspapers are going under left and right, and the whole concept for the, of the need for newspapers is being questioned. In the same way, I've, worked for, I've closed a lot of magazines in my time. I did a lot of writing for Holiday Magazine when I was learning to be a professional, and for the Curtis Magazine Empire in general. Of course, it's long gone. I had a story in the last... Um, the last edition of the regular edition of the Saturday Evening Post, and so just just longevity is a tribute, obviously not simply to the stubbornness of the publishers, but to the quality of the magazine, to the to the people that they keep getting. They're still they're still the first choice. And consistency, too. It strikes me that the magazine looks the same as it did uh, as many years ago as I first saw it. Yes. And it has a, the similar kind of quality and uh, of content as well. Um, no, it still, it still looks very much the same. And the quality not only has not let down, but in certain aspects, like the criticism, for instance, that's published, it's improved. And... You know, had a wonderful start with Tony Boucher and Francis McComas setting the standards. And I think they'd be immensely proud. I, knew, I was very fond of Tony. I think he'd be very proud of what the magazine looks like and reads like today. And finally, can you is there anything that you'd like to say to Gordon uh, Van Gelder and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction yes, on the equation of their 60th anniversary? Pretty incredible, huh? <laughs> well, first, I'd like to apologize to Gordon for having failed to come up with a story for the 60th anniversary edition. I really wanted to get one in there. And you know, I can think of I can think of excuses, but they don't hold water. I'm just sorry. That I didn't get the story in in time. That's the apology part, and the other part is just simply one, one long loud bravo, and and long may Gordon and FNSF wave. I've been speaking with Peter S. Beagle. He's the author of The Last Unicorn, and he's um, been a regular contributor to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction for how many years now? Um, in recent years. And it is recent, probably since around 2005. Gordon published um, Two Hearts, the long the sequel of Bridge Story, Coda to the Last Unicorn, which affected my career in a whole lot of ways. And he published a couple since. And I'm still as proud each time as though I'd made it to The New Yorker. Thank you for speaking with me, Peter. Thanks for calling, Rick.
Karen Joy Fowler is the author of Sarah Canary, Sister Noon, the Jane Austen Book Club, and Wit's End. Thank you for joining me, Karen. Thank you for having me. Karen, uh, tell me the very first time that you remember seeing an issue of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I am pretty sure that I was taking a class from Kim Stanley Robinson, and he started bringing in various magazines for us to look at. Uh, I think that um, FNSF was one of his very favorites, so I'm sure it was on the top of his pile. Now, uh, could you tell me the very first story that you published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction and what that meant to you? I think that the first one I published was the Poplar Street Study. Um, I, had been, I had been trying to sell stories for quite a while, uh, quite a while longer, I think, than they had been good enough to be sold, but of course I did not realize that. And there was always something wrong with them. Um, my writing group generally felt that although much I was doing many things that were good, that um, there was always still something wrong, and it had something to do with my endings, and no one could really articulate what the problem was, only that there was a problem. I had this kind of mysterious experience where I went to hear the fabulous poet Robert Haas give a lecture on the endings of poems. And um, and I was just sitting listening to him, and he was so articulate and so incredible that my brain just expanded a bit. And although he was not really talking about things that were terribly relevant to what I was doing, um, as he was talking, I saw a different way to end the Poplar Street study that I thought would probably be better. And so I came home and I did that. And then kind of on that momentum, I saw a better way to end my story praxis, and I went and I did that, and then I saw a better way to end my story recalling Cinderella, and I went and did that, and I sent them all out at about the same time, one to FNSF, one to Asimov's, and one to the Writers of the Future, and they were all taken. Wow, what a great, what a great experience. Now, where did you see Robert Haas? I um, was at a poetry um, workshop in Napa. Over the summer. Was that the Squaw Valley? No, it, it was uh, Squaw Valley is up in uh, mm-hmm. Squaw Valley. Yes. Uh, it, this was the Napa workshop. I think it's still going on, but I have lost track of it. But I went twice, two, two summers in a row. And, uh, and it was focused then on poetry. So I heard a lot of poets talking about poetry. I really, really recommend listening to poets talk about poetry if you're trying to write prose. Now, uh, tell me, what do you think the magazine of fantasy and science fiction means to the science fiction and fantasy community? I think partly uh, it's important just because of its history, because um, we've seen so many magazines come and go, and it's, it's nice to have one that has been there so long and has published, has, has such a history of publishing great stories and, and writers um, who are legends in our minds and stories which are mythic in our own mythologies um, and uh, but but on top of just just its survival against all odds over all these years I think it's generally considered to be a, a place where the highest quality of the field is generally on display 
Now, um, uh, that's something I, I really have to agree with. And maybe you could talk uh, uh, about, you know, the kind of quality, because I think that one of the things about the magazine of fantasy and science fiction is that there are a lot of stories in there that people would be surprised to find in there. I, I feel this way not just about um, the magazine of FNSF, but about the short story um, world of science fiction in general. I, always, I, do, I do a lot of conventions of a more literary sort, and I always meet writers or sea stories that I think, uh, first of all, are fabulous, and secondly, would fit very comfortably in FNSF, only they've never heard of it and have no idea um, just how expansive the, the field really is and, and how exciting the short form is. I have felt for a long time that what really excites me about the science fiction community is the, is the short work. That there are things that you quote Ken Stanley Robinson, um, short, sharp shock sort of way, that uh, that a, that a lot of literary writers are also kind of aiming at without understanding that we've been doing those things for a long time in science fiction. And I think science fiction is the field where the short form is the most active, and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction is, as you say, one of the most expansive publications in the field. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, we were all incredibly grateful that Gordon took it over when Ed Furman stepped aside. It would have just been a horrible thing to lose. Well, now, given that, is there anything you'd like to say to, to Gordon Van Gelder and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction on the occasion of their 60th anniversary? Only five <laughs> more years to retirement so they can collect Social Security. <laughs> just thank you. Congratulations. Keep going. Keep it up. I've been speaking with Karen Joy Fowler. Her latest novel is Wit's End. Thank you for joining me, Karen. Thank you very much, Rick. Michael Swanick is the author of Vacuum Flowers and The Iron Dragon's Daughter and many other classics of science fiction and fantasy. Thank you for joining me, Michael. I'm pleased to be here. Michael, tell me about the first time you ever saw an issue of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I was uh, 13 years old. I was a Boy Scout. I was out on a field trip. We stopped in a mom-and-pop store in Vermont for uh, for supplies and... Uh, it was there on the stands, and it it looked strange and alluring, and I waited till nobody saw me, and I bought it. <laughs> now, um, tell us about the first story you published in fantasy and science fiction, and what that meant to you as a writer. My first story was Mother Grasshopper, which uh, appeared in FNSF in 1998. I had been published for 18 years by then, and I felt about it pretty much the same way that Jorge Luis Borges felt when he first sold the story to FNSF. I felt like I was finally getting somewhere. And, and well, where did you think you were getting? FNSF is um, kind of the standard for a particular kind of story, a story that's 
both um, literate and uh, solidly genre. So I felt like I was stepping into place with uh, the heavy hitters of literature. It's like the New Yorker of science fiction. More like the uh, more like the uh, New York Yankees of science fiction. <laughs> uh, now, could you uh, tell me uh, um, what do you think that the magazine of fantasy and science fiction means to the science fiction and fantasy community, the writers, the readers, uh, everybody out there? Well, collectively, the magazines have always been the the soul and the center of the field, the the place where writers begin and where innovation occurs. Um, what makes fantasy and science fiction particularly distinctive, at least from my perspective, um, is that kind of um, fantasy that they would publish. Uh, that I don't really see there was a market for it anywhere else. Uh, intelligent, very literate, but at the same time, uh, very recognizably not mainstream. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the best stories have been published in the last. 60 years. If they hadn't been published in FNSF, it's hard to imagine where they would have been. It's That's an interesting observation, that it really is uh, occupies a unique uh, realm, not just in uh, the science fiction culture, but in cultural in, in general. Oh, indeed. And there's been there have been a lot of, uh, of mainstream writers have uh, published there as well. Um, even uh, even back in, in, in the 50s, it was a, a magazine that writers would make exception for. Now, uh, I'm wondering if there's anything that you'd like to say to Gordon Van Gelder and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction on the occasion of their 60th anniversary. Um, yes, I would like to read a very short story, which I originally sent to Gordon as a joke. And he then astound, astounded me by, uh, by buying it. <laughs> and it, had, it, it proved uh, extremely popular, too, uh, proving that he was right. The story is called The Madness of Gordon Van Gelder. The origins of madness are a mystery. The progress of madness as a disease, however, can often be precisely documented. For Gordon Van Gelder, it all began at a room party in the Sifwa Suite at Philcon. He was listening to Michael Swanwick spout off about his uncanny facility with short, short stories. Michael, it seems, had bragged to Nancy Kress about the exact same thing, and then, in the face of her disbelief, written a short short about her while waiting in the bar to go to dinner with Nancy and her husband, Charles Sheffield. The punchline to this not terribly involving story was that Nancy had immediately cried, oh my God, promise me you won't sell the story to Gardner's Aswala. At which point, Gordon had whipped out 50 cents and said, I'll buy it. There was no immediate repercussion from this incident. Swanwick had taken it for the joke it was meant to be and laughed, but afterwards, afterwards, thinking it over, Gordon realized that he had felt an illicit thrill from the incident. It was morally wrong for an editor to buy something sight unseen. It was wicked. It was perverse. And therefore, necessarily, it was exciting. A week later, a story from Jim Kelly arrived in the mail. Gordon knew that it would be good. Jim sweated his guts out over his fiction. He wouldn't have sent it in if it weren't worth publishing. Reading the thing was only a formality, after all. And if he did read it, wouldn't that be needlessly depriving himself of a very special thrill? It would. Buy this, Gordon told his assistant, and leaned back in his chair, eyes half-closed, breathing shallowly. But it didn't, wouldn't, couldn't, and there, after all. One thing led to another. 
Gordon bought more and increasingly more stories sight unseen, stories by unpublished amateurs, stories by people he knew couldn't write. Word got around. Why drag out the tale? Less than a year after that fatal room party, Gordon found himself standing out on Fifth Avenue, assailed by would-be writers. Gonna bees, wannabes, not a chance at hell to bees, filled the streets, stopped the traffic, shrieked like banshees, thrust forward clumsily, typed and badly penciled and incoherently crammed manuscripts, while Gordon, tattered and bleeding, accepted all they could give him and demanded more. The SWAT team was called out. Water hoses were employed and then live ammo. Writers were mowed down like the cockroaches they were until finally the street was cleared and an angry police officer confronted the unrepentant editor. All right, the policeman growled. What's the story here? I don't give a damn, Gordon said. I'll buy it. <laughs> well, that's all. Uh, tell me about sending that story to Gordon. Well, everything in there, um, uh, up to him, uh, up to and including him whipping out the 50 cents, all absolutely true. And uh, so I went home I, and... I wrote up the story, and I sent it to him just as a joke. I sent a little note saying, here's something pleasant for you. It's a story that you, don't, that you don't have to reject because there's not a chance in hell you'll buy it. And I forgot about it. And then on the first mail day of 2000, the year 2000, the first mail day of the millennium, I went to the post office, and I, got, uh, and, and, and I opened my box, and there was a, uh, 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 a check from FNSF. And I looked at this, and I went, went, went I have... I didn't sell into FNSF anything, and I looked at, at, the, at the title of the story typed on the check, and I, did, and I was just went, I was filled with this, this, this egomaniacal glee, and I thought to myself, I can sell anything. This century belongs to me. I've been speaking with Michael Swanick. His novels include Vacuum Flowers and The Iron Dragon's Daughter. Thank you for joining me, Michael. It's a pleasure. Rickert is the author of many short stories collected in Map of Dreams. Thank you for joining me, Mary. Well, thank you for having me, Rick. Mary, I'm wondering, what was the first time you ever saw a copy of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction? Do you remember? Um, Yes, and the first time I saw it was in a a library, and I looked it up specifically after um, reading the year's best fantasy and horror that used to be um, edited by um, Ellen Datlow and Terry Winling, which I also discovered in a library. And after reading a lot of stories in there, that reminded me of the things I was trying to be published that were published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I sought that out and found it in the same library. Well, tell me, what was the first story that you published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction? And what, tell me what that meant to you as a writer. The first story I published was The Girl Who Ate Butterflies. When it was published, it meant everything to me. I was actually homesick the day I got the acceptance letter, and then um, the letter came in the mail, and I made this remarkable recovery. <laughs> it's, um, I'd been trying to get published for a long time, and except for getting a few poems published, I'd gotten rejections for years, 
And so by the time I sent The Girl Who Ate Butterflies to the magazine, I thought if it wasn't accepted there, I might have to consider that I'd been wasting my life and, you know, think of something else to do with myself. Um, But it was accepted, and um, that meant a lot. And also, that particular story is about someone discovering her odd taste for life is enhanced by what others find unpalatable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought it was a fitting induction into the fantasy science fiction community. That that is a, a really interesting. Uh, it is does sound like a, a perception of the uh, fantasy and science fiction community. Yeah, and actually, in writing that story, is um, the very end. She's you know she's trying to decide if at the very end she takes this butterfly, and all these things have happened to her, and she's lost some because of this having this appetite and I still remember my pen poised above the page and I was going to say that you know it didn't taste as good anymore because she'd lost all of this but instead I realized you know that everything tasted better and that it tasted better and um, that's kind of like what the writing life is like I think but but the the realization of that also meant a lot for me as a writer. That's interesting that, that the subject of the story and the actual fact of getting the story published kind of coalesced on, on such it a did. perfect point. Almost magically. <laughs> yes. Now, what do you think the magazine of fantasy and science fiction means to the science fiction and fantasy community? There's so many stories of people discovering their first issues of fantasy and science fiction in a box or in an attic or a garage, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And whenever I hear these stories, I always think um, it's not just about finding a magazine and reading some cool, some cool stories, but it's about finding some aspect of self within the magazine's pages. And when people tell about this moment, there's always this notion of darkness, you know, and then... Um, and, and then there's a sense of light, as though the magazine itself... Um, is a necessary element for lighting something that that's within the person all along. And so I think that fantasy and science fiction doesn't just entertain, it sort of guides people home. And so I think it's invaluable. It, it provides a home that they might not have ever known before that they had. Yeah. And it's, it's, it hap- and it can happen all alone too. You know, there's a lot. There's a community that goes to conventions and, and are online. But I also think that we still have our solitary readers who just benefit by knowing, you know, that there are these other voices that are speaking to something that they carry within, but maybe aren't able to put to voice. Well, is there anything that you'd like to say to Gordon Van Gelder in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction on the occasion of their 60th anniversary? Yes. Happy 60th anniversary to fantasy and science fiction. Thank you, Gordon and the magazine, uh, for taking whatever risks, weathering whatever rejections, accepting whatever losses you had in order to keep um, the magazine going. Because you followed your dreams, I and countless others have been able to follow ours. I toast you and all that surround you, the ghosts of those before, the figments of those to come, and the child somewhere destined to find an old box filled with fantasy science fiction magazine 
and who opens them up, reads them, and says, yes, this is what I've been looking for. A toast. (laughs) (laughs) A toast. I've been speaking with Mary Rickert. She's the author of the collection of short stories, Map of Dreams. Thank you for joining me, Mary. Thank you very much. It's been interesting. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.